0: than a cigarette. Since we was 18 Fake news, fake woke, distracting divide You're either right or you're left Or you're black or you're white Big tech don't need a microchip to hack in your life Cause the phone inside your pocket is a tracking device And I don't know what I'm a sick of Rappers or Joe Biden Looking like he ate a hundred Xanax for dinner Cause censoring the president And kicking him off Twitter Is a bigger threat to freedom than foreign ballistic missiles You don't trust the police or the government But you want people giving up their right to own a firearm Why would you be comfortable with police and the government The only people on the planet with the right to buy a gun White it's getting amplified to reinforce division It convinces white people that they're favored by their skin And black people getting angry Cause they're told they're treated different So the conflict is between us and never with the system Let's just have the conversation Not every liberal is dumb Not all republicans are racist The government wants everybody fighting with their neighbors Cause they know that if we get along we'll probably go against them They can't stop us Cause we're ready to fight Trying to brainwash us but we won't let freedom die. The whole world's brainwashed. Everybody pick a team, start a riot in the streets. The whole world's brainwashed. It's just a damnity, you against me. Step one. Train the people only to consume. Step two, infiltrate adults with the news. Step three, indoctrinate the children through the schools and the music and the apps on the phones that they use. Step four, separate the right from the left. Step five, separate the white from the black. Step six, separate the rich from poor. Use religion and equality to separate them more. Step seven, fabricate a problem made alive. I step eight, put it on the news every night, step nine, when people start to fight and divide, take control, this is called situational design. They can't stop us, cause we're ready to fight, trying to brainwash us, but we won't let freedom die, the whole world's brainwashed. Everybody think a team, start a riot in the streets, the whole world's brainwashed. It's against them,
1: think. and you against me.
2: Well, welcome everyone to the Tory Says Show. It's the 21st of October, 2021. And I think everyone's waking up. I think we need to revisit a very old interview of Ronald Reagan's from before he became president. Where discussions were had, and you could swear this man was living in today's time. And we're going to watch that nicely, carefully, slowly, right? We're going to listen to it, and we're going to pretend it's like, Around now, obviously, with references of the past that seem to them to be more closer in time, and they aren't for us. I hope uh, that brings a little bit of insight that this war for your mind had started a long time ago, and the situation you are in now already existed. It's just that you're realizing you're at that point where it's the full takeover. And, you know, there's a. Today I was. Um, getting some errands done. And I visited some local businesses, small local businesses, all of them very, very liberal, very, very liberal. And, um, every single business that I asked, I'd be like, how are you doing? Yeah. You know, we were really bad with COVID, but now we're kind of, you know, getting back, but we have one problem. We don't have anyone to work. We don't have anyone to work. What do you mean you don't have anyone to work? How is it that there's no one to work? I'm not understanding. Apparently, all the big, big companies, you know, the ones that survived COVID, the ones that easily adapted, you know, like Walmart, McDonald's, Domino's, you know, all those. um, They have survived and they are paying so much that small businesses can't afford to pay those wages. A little shop that sells, you know, I don't know, bakery goods, for example. They can't hire someone and pay them $17, $20 an hour. The going saying of the, uh, of the uh, leftists is, yeah, yeah, you know, Biden's helping us move up with better opportunities, better opportunities working from a local shop, you know, mom and pop shop, to like Walmart, right? Where at Walmart you're just stocking shelves, but you're getting eighteen dollars an hour, right? But the mom and pop shop can't afford to pay you more than 12, 13. Domino's that's paying you an insane amount of money to do what? Turn out pizzas and you know count how many pepperonis you put on there, rather than the mom and pop shop that's been around for like forever that can't afford to pay you 17 dollars an hour. See, the small businesses got screwed out of this, and you know every single one of them complete libtards. We're talking super libtards. Like, you know, they're all BLM and everything. And I'm like, wow. And they're like, yeah. And I was like, so the big corporations got a really good break with COVID was the conversation I had. That sounds terrible. I know, but you know, it is what it is. We're really, really trying. And I was like, yeah, it kind of sucks. It almost makes me feel like I really wish that I was listening to Trump, but you know, the media wouldn't let me listen. Right. And they just looked at me. Yeah, you know, like all the media is so biased. I know, right? But I think Trump was saying that, you know, the little businesses, it sucks. I really wish I listened to Trump, I said. And they all said, you know what? You're kind of right. I mean, the guy is like terrible. He's this. But at least, you know, he did look out for us. And then um, there was this one person out of all these small businesses that said, you know, my mom, I thought she was crazy. You know, we come from another country where, you know, there was communism. And she was telling me what all that this started, like, in 20, 2018 when they started attacking, you know, that that guy. Huh, well, he wasn't that bad of a president, I guess, but Trump. You know, she thought I was an anti-Trumper. It's like, damn, I guess it must have been the Ugg slippers. <laughs> right? To put me in that category. Uh, And and the messed up hair. She was like, but I thought my mom was like crazy. She said this was war. She said this was war. And I thought she was nuts. But she's right. She told me that when, you know, this vaccine thing, and when this sickness came out, she says, oh, no, they're going to collect people and put them in places My mom told me and I thought she was crazy. She was right. And it's like the awakening of you and others is always on a different timeline, right? Not everyone can wake up at the same time. They need a different type of force to wake up and understand. But in order to just understand the destruction that this selected president has caused, it's insane. But not only that, while these small businesses are waking up, the ones that actually believe in capitalism, right, and not socialism, there was this one lady who was, like, super socialist, right? And I was like, oh, my God. Uh, she was like, how are you doing? And I was like, I'm okay. I'm just a little bit terrified. So I heard from a friend, okay, and this woman is very well known in her business networks. I was like, I heard from a friend that they're going to start pulling taxes out of our account. And she was like, "Mm, what? I said, well, she was like, I don't understand. I was like, well, a few weeks ago, Biden had demanded that the IRS get access to any account. They get $600 or more. She's like, what that has $600 or more. And I was like, well, if you get a deposit of more than $600 in your account, the IRS is going to know it's going to flag it. It used to be like, and she goes, 10,000. And I was like, yeah. And now it's 600. And she was like, what? And I was like, yeah. So they, they've they done this. The IRS can now see your account. They're coming for the poor, poor people. And I'm one of those poor, poor people. And she goes, um, what do you mean? And I was like, well, they're just going to come and take it. I mean, everyone wanted this free stuff. And I thought it would have been great, right? Free this, free that. But I guess they're just going to be taking it out of our account. There's no more filing taxes. They're just going to go in there and take it. You know, and they're limiting how much cash we could get. It's just going to be terrible. Now, this woman's strategic. This woman is one of like the small business yip, yip, yips. So it was kind of fascinating. You know, I met her, talked, and it's almost as if God was taking over where I was red-pilling the shit out of her. Obviously through, um, you know, my, you know, liberal persona. I mean, I worked it. I Okay, you need to listen to this outfit choice, okay? I was wearing those Sherpa lined slippers like moccasins. I was wearing a pair of black sweatpants. And then on top, go figure, I was wearing a sweater with a plaid button-down shirt under it. I look like a hot mess with a yellow scrunchie for a ponytail bun. No joke. I was dressed the part. So she, um she, she was asking me a question. I was like, I really don't know a lot. Um, you know, maybe you could Google it. I heard it from like this and that, you know, accountants and, um, you know, obviously I don't trust the news. So I was trying to look at C-SPAN and she freaked out. She was like, Hey, I have a card. Can I like give it to you? And maybe we can talk. Cause um, you know, a small businesses here in this area are kind of concerned at what this administration is doing. I was like, Oh, did you guys get together about what Trump was doing? Like, she was like, well, actually, I mean, yeah, we got together, but he he didn't really do anything that hurt us. So my taxes were better then." I was like, Oh, and she was like, yeah, I know. Right. How weird. It's like he was a good president, but he wasn't, I wish it was Biden, but doing Trump stuff. (laughs) Anyway, I took her card and that's how I found out who she was. So see, sometimes Coming out and smacking him in the face with actual truth doesn't work. But every opportunity I get, (laughs) I start conversations. Today, I looked like a hot mess, not because I wanted to look like a hot mess. It's just circumstances led me to that point of looking like the hottest mess you can ever imagine. I was like, please don't let me run into anybody I know. It was one of those days. But I still had conversations. Still have conversations because that's how we get other people to see where we're at. We have to have conversations with our local communities, our local businesses. I know, I know a lot of people are like, yeah, we don't. No, 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 no. The only way we can have conversations is not by coming out straight out, you know, this. Speak their language. I mean, it was pretty easy to get BLM on the other side, wasn't it? because they weren't really BLM. But I warn you now, I warn you now, the far left, the UN funded, the foreign influence funded factions that are operating within our borders, they are organizing. You think we're organizing? They're organizing. They have have stepped up their meetings and their Zoom calls They are coming full force for Kamala and Joe. They are taking no prisoners. (laughs) Right. They are going to steamroll every single one of them. And they have an agenda and they have a shit ton of money funding them. They are going to come out and they're going to start and they're going to have things that you're going to see. I was I was listening to one of them from last night, one of these calls. And it just, you know, obviously as I was listening to it with um, a coworker of mine, I was, it didn't seem like I was paying attention and it wasn't until like maybe 20 minutes ago as I was putting together some paperwork and getting some stuff together. Cause you know, tomorrow I'm off, it's Phoebe's birthday, so I am not going to be on air anyway. So as I was doing all these little tidbits, I thought to myself, holy crap. They're going to be pushing crazy-ass ideologies on top of deadly ideologies. So they're going to be wanting to push what the feminists want and how everything needs to, you know, run around feminism. And I was thinking, damn, I mean, sometimes you wonder, the people that participate in these discussions, you know, are they insane? Are they not seeing what's going on? I'm going to assume, I'm going to assume that most of them don't even have, you know, a job because through their work, they would at least know what a hot mess everything is. So I'm not understanding why feminist policies would be necessary at this time where we're dying as a nation. We're dying as a nation of not having enough money, right? (laughs) Not having enough of anything, and then you're just like, you're pushing these feminist, you know, ideologies and programs you want, and, and they don't seem feasible with that of the nation. It's so insane. And then in other insanity, you know, they want to hold Steve Barron in contempt, right? Oh, and we're going to go to the federal prosecutors and get you. And you have to think to yourself, today, well, like, what the fuck is this Congress doing? None of them are capable of doing anything. Anything you bring to them will not be done. I know that Patrick Bergies like, yeah, let's go to Congress. Let's investigate why Millie, Millie Weaver, a journalist, was arrested. Who's gonna do that? That Congress just put the nail on the coffin on every single American. Who's gonna do it? Nobody is. Right now, there is no Congress. You have to operate with the with the with the thought that there is no Congress that there is no nothing. This is like super one person making decision. And it's not Joe Biden. And it's not fucking Pelosi. They're all bowing down to that one person. Even the good guys with their attempts to help us fuck shit up. I mean, you would think if you're in the house so long, you would know how to circumvent bullshit, right? But they could say, "Well, it doesn't matter. I tried, so people will vote for me again because I really tried." Nah, man, no free passes anymore. I want you to. Take I, a don't look think, at, I, I don't think. I don't think the, the good people, people. I don't, don't think, think the, the good people of this, this great, great country. I want you to listen to what happened today. Okay, this is really, really important. It drove me insane watching this because I was thinking, "What idiot is going to believe that what he's doing right now?" was a good thing. He said all the right things. He did all the right things, but he just, gosh, darn it. I didn't have it. They're all pulling their pants down. They're all pulling their pants down. Every single one of them pulling their pants down. Let's take a listen. Are you going to
3: cower and hide. I, I think, think your, your memo, memo, Mr. Attorney, Attorney General, General, was the last straw. For all. I think it was the catalyst for a great awakening that is just getting started Pilots at Southwest Airlines, the Chicago Police Union, parents at school board meetings. Americans are pushing back because Americans value freedom. A few weeks ago, a few weeks ago, Terry McAuliffe said this, I don't think parents should be telling schools what to teach. When government tells parents we're smarter than you, Americans aren't going to tolerate it. When the Attorney General of the United States sets up a snitch line on parents, Americans aren't going to tolerate it. I think they're going to stand up to this accelerated march to communism that we now see is going to fight the good fight, they're going to finish the course, they're going to keep the faith, because Americans value freedom. Mr. Uh, Mr. Chairman, we have a video
4: we'd like to play. Mr. Chairman. We have a video we'd like to play.
5: Mr.
3: Chairman.
4: Ms. Dean. I object. What purpose does Ms. Dean seek recognition?
3: I object. I'm reserving my right to object to the video. Why, why would May I inquire that? as to whether the gentleman has followed the Judiciary Committee's AV protocol but by providing 48 hours notice to the committee's clerk that he was going to use a video? We provided notice. Well, well first of all, there's no 48-hour rule. It's not in the committee rules. Second, we did let the committee staff, the majority know that we had a video responding and we gave the to video
4: to him this morning. Responding to the gentle lady's request, he did not. He did not supply the 48 hours rule. 48, 48 hours notice required by the rule, Mr. Chairman.
3: Then I insist on my objection. Mr. Having Chairman. failed to follow the bipartisan protocol, I insist on my objection. An objection,
4: objection has been heard. The video will not be shown. I appeal the ruling of the chair. The ruling
1: has been made. There's been an
4: objection. There's been no ruling that was made. There's been no ruling that made. There's been an objection. Mr. Chairman, I'd like to speak regarding... No, that's out of order. This is not debatable.
3: Well, what's out of order is there is no rule that requires a 48-hour notice. That's what's out of order. There
4: is such a rule. There is not. Not in our rules. Mr. Chairman, what are you afraid of? There is such a rule. You objected last year. You were told there was such a rule. Mr. Um, Mr. Chairman, what
6: are our colleagues on the other side of the aisle afraid of?
7: Are they afraid of videos? Of parents?
4: The gentleman was recognized for his opening statement. Is he finished no, with his opening statement? I'm not finished with the opening statement. I seek recognition Does for a parliamentary inquiry. Proceed it's with not, his a rule. Opening it's statement. not a rule. It's It's uh, what you
3: said. I think the term you used is it's protocol. The
4: general protocol woman the objected.
3: The uh, conduct of the committee rules do. That's not a rule. We had a video. We understood you had a video.
4: I seek recognition for a parliamentary inquiry. The general woman objected because you failed to follow the rule. Her objection is sustained. Mr. Chairman, I see... Does the gentleman have anything else? I see... We had a recognition had, for a
3: parliamentary we had, inquiry. We had... Yeah, uh, uh, I'll yield back in just a second, and, and particularly if you recognize... The gentleman me. yields back? No, I haven't yielded back yet. I said I will in a second. Um, it's a video about parents at school board meetings. Moms and dads speaking at school board meetings, and you guys aren't going to let us play it?
4: The it will not be pla- an objection has been heard that uh, you failed to give the forty-eight hours request re- required by the rule. And therefore, what, what it will rule? Not be heard. Mr. Chairman, what rule? You have to say oh, the inquiry, what rule? Please present the rule. In the case of audio visual materials under the leadership of my predecessor Chairman Goodlat, a Republican, the Committee developed a written protocol for managing the use of audiovisual materials in our hearings. Protocol. This protocol simply requires members to provide 48 hours notice they are Never going to use audiovisual materials. Until recently, this, con- this protocol was not controversial. It was a helpful tool we used to manage hearings and make sure videos played properly. The gentlewoman has objected to the materials because the gentleman did not provide the agreed upon 48 hours notice. Playing audiovisual materials during a committee hearing is the equivalent of introducing printed gentleman. materials into the hearing record. In the normal course of business, we do not object to each other's requests, but members have the right to object if they so choose, and an objection has been heard. Mr. Chairman, did we ever vote on that?
6: That's a clever written statement, but a, a protocol is not a rule. Statement.
3: Mr. Chairman, obviously you're not going to let us play it. Obviously you're going to censor us, which is sort of the, the conduct of the left today, it seems, um, and Democrats today, it seems. I'll, i yield back uh, the balance of my time.
4: The chairman yields back a point of order. General gentleman will state point of order. The, the,
0: uh, the actual written rule, this is not a rule.
4: That is not a point of order, as I said before. Playing audiovisual materials during committee hearing is the equivalent of introducing printed materials into the hearing record. In the normal course of business, we do not object to each other's requests, but members have the right to object if they so choose, and an objection has been heard.
0: Not a rule, sir. I'd ask you to rule on my
8: point of order. Not made a valid the
4: gentleman has not made a valid point of order. Um, now we recognize
8: the,
4: the gentleman. Move the table. Move the table. Appeal, there's, there's nothing, nothing to appeal. There's, there's been no ruling.
2: So two things here. Let's pretend I was in Congress, and I wanted to introduce a video. I would, two things came out of this. One, that indeed, 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 they make up rules as they go. And they consider protocols for one case that happened under good law right, as actual rules when they're not. Which, no offense, but Jim Jordan did have a point there. But they don't give a crap about points and what's right and what's wrong. They want to get what they want done. Okay? That's obvious. It's not rocket science. It's completely obvious. So, the way it should have been done is, hey... I'm going to push to show a video. They're going to censor me and say, no, this protocol is a rule. But you file it 48 hours beforehand that you're going to be introducing a video so that we're covered. This is how actual good representatives that want to demonstrate the... uh, uh, I'm going to calm down. The erosion of even their... Organized alleged discussions happen, but you know, I digress. Therefore, it wasn't a very good one. Discussing and trying to show a video last—it's not going to happen. You wouldn't let the left show you something they doctor last minute, and they have these protocols that are not rules that no one took a vote on, but they don't give a shit because it's live and they want to look good. Which didn't make him look really good. It made him look really bad to the left, which was very important. But on the other hand, the most important thing was for you guys to understand that they have rules like this. And that you understand that everything is scripted. Everything. But there are sometimes responses. Take a listen to this response, which was fascinating to listen to. It was so fascinating to listen to.
6: Actions may have been motivated by your family's financial stake in this issue. On its website, the company brags that it's surveyed more than 13 million students in the U.S. That your actions may have been motivated by your family's financial stake in this issue. Published reports show that your son-in-law co-founded a company called Panorama Education. We now know that that company publishes and sells critical race theory and so-called anti-racism materials to schools across the country. And it works with school districts nationwide to obtain and analyze data on students, often without parental consent. On its website, the company brags that it's surveyed more than 13 million students in the U.S. It's raised $76 million from powerful investors, including people like Mark Zuckerberg just since 2017. My first question is this. Are you familiar with Title V of the Code of Federal Regulations, which addresses the rules of impartiality for executive branch employees and officials?
9: I am very familiar with it, and I want to be clear once again that there's nothing in this memorandum which has any effect on the kinds of curriculums that are taught or the ability of parents to complain about the kinds
6: of... I understand are... your position on, on the free speech a of position. parents. position. It wait, wait just a minute. The, the question is, the question is, the thing that has concerned many of those parents that are showing up at these school board meetings, the, the, the very basis of their objection and their vigorous debate, as you mentioned earlier, is the curricula, the very curricula that your son-in-law is selling. So to millions of Americans, I mean, my constituents, I was home all weekend, I got an earful about this. They're very concerned about that. Subpart E of that federal regulation says an employee of the executive branch is discouraged from encouraging con, eng- engaging in conduct that's likely to affect the financial interest of someone close to them. Your, your son-in-law, your daughter, uh, clearly meets that definition. And, and so the question is, uh, did did you follow that regulation did you have the appropriate agency ethic official look into this did you seek guidance as the federal regulation
9: requires this memorandum is aimed at violence and threats of violence
6: understand that but did did you excuse me did you seek ethics counsel before you issued a letter that directly relates to the financial interest of your family yes or no
9: this Memorandum does not relate to the financial interests of anyone. It's a. Th- it's against. I take that as a no. I take that as a no. Memorandum is against violence and threats of violence.
6: Will, will you, Mr. Attorney General, will you commit to having the appropriate ethics designee review the case and make the results public?
9: This memorandum is aimed at violence and threats of violence. I, I
6: understand I your talking point. You're not answering my question, I'm Mr. Attorney General. Right, With all due respect. Will you submit to an ethics review of this matter, yes or no?
9: There's no company in America or hopefully no law-abiding citizen in America who believes that threats of violence should not be prevented. There are no conflicts of interest that anyone could have.
6: According to you, but sir, with due respect, that's the purpose of the federal regulation. We need objective third parties to review our activities. You don't get to make that decision yourself. It doesn't matter. You're the top, you're the chief law enforcement of this country. This raises questions in the minds of millions of Americans, and your impartiality is being called into question. Why would you not submit to a simple ethics review of that? I
9: am exquisitely aware of the ethics requirements. But you're not following them. I have followed them and lived with them for the last 25 years. Did you seek an ethics review of this or not? I'm going to say again. There are no conflicts of interest involved when the Justice Department... Okay,
6: okay. According to you, I got that. I'm not trying to be disrespectful,
9: but you are not
6: respecting our rules, our constitutional norms, and the federal law that directly applies to your activities. This is a great concern. This is why people are losing faith in our institution. They're losing faith in this Department of Justice. And you and I both know, as constitutional attorneys, that if if the people lose their faith... In our system of justice, if they lose their faith in the idea that justice is blind, that they're not two standards, that there's one standard of the law
4: and that every time of the gentleman has expired, the attorney general like to respond to the innuendo. No, I, all I can say is I completely innuendo. agree that
10: the rule of
9: law and respect for it is essential. What? And uh, I will always do everything possible to uphold that and to avoid any kind of conflict of interest. But you will not submit to an ethics Time
4: inquiry. of the gentleman has expired. I would just time to... of the gentleman has expired. It wasn't innuendo, it was a
3: question. Thank you. It was a question. question is the is, is the editorial the comments from the chair about Are other the, people's it, questions is not appreciated by this General, side of the aisle.
4: Mr. Johnson of Georgia.
2: Hey, I'm see why we need to destroy the parties. Do you see that? So what is going on with Louisiana? They are seeming to be on fire. I think it's that. What is it uh, called? That crawfish étouffée, face spicing shit up. I mean, come on. That was perfect questioning. Hey, dude. Your kids are making bank off the CRT. Do we get an ethics review? Because you're supporting the shit out of that. And you're not letting parents talk about it. Can you answer that? Well, he just kept sticking to the script. Reading and reading and reading and reading and reading. But, (laughs) damn, where'd that come from, Louisiana? That was some extra, extra spicy etouffee right there that they served up. So it's, that's like actually one of my favorite dishes, by the way, crawfish etouffee. I freaking love it. But um, I'm just gonna say, like, that was incredible questioning. I would love to see them do the same thing to the chief of staff of Joe Biden and say, yo, you're pushing all this vaccine bullshit. Didn't you invent clear? Weren't you on the board? Didn't your companies create clear? You know, that passport shit, all that shit we find in airports. Shit, I'm signed up for too, where it like scans your fingers or your eyes and clears you to go on an airplane. I would love someone to ask him that. That question because we got that evidence. So, you know, it's so weird. Nobody asks these direct questions. It's like, what? What? Your kids are making bank and you're supporting your kids to get away with making bank. I think that's a question that should be answered. But no, 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 You don't get to ask those questions. Here is more questions that were asked like, you know, are parents allowed to even talk at school boards? Like, you know, how many things do you think you or your representatives have asked, have asked the Department of Justice to investigate? And they're like, yeah, so we're going to sit on this shit for a bit because we busy. But then the school boards get together and they're like, oh, my God, Tori's such a bitch. Look at what she said. These are all threats. And they're like, well, they're not threats, but we can use these words. Oh, And all these people, there have been no threats. They're all peaceful. The only threat is, is that they lose their fucking seat. And people are like, yo, these machines elected you. We didn't elect you. There's no way you are doing what you're doing. We're going to remove you. So many people have got in there and said, get out. We're voting right now. You're out. Bye. For those that could do that, for those that had the cojones to do that, they did it. They did it. Right. They totally did it. And they're upset. How dare they go out there and take over their school boards? What? But they have the right to, but how dare they? What? Well, here's some more questioning that was happening that was very uncomfortable for Mr. Garland, whose kids are making super bank.
11: Thank Attorney General. Attorney General Garland for coming before our community today. I'd like to take every opportunity that I have to share with our nation the making of a great community. I grew up in one in the deep South 1960s. Though in the depths of Jim Crow segregation, it was community that produced giant Americans like Clarence Thomas, Condoleezza Rice, Thomas Sowell, Walter Williams, and Colin Powell. This was not by accident. It was not, and it was also not rare. It was a community of faith, family, free market, and education. Education was the very core of our success. I was raised in a home of teachers. My dad was a college professor for 40 years. My mom a a junior high school teacher. They were trusted to do what teachers have done throughout our history, to teach children how to read, write, add, subtract, and to think critically. Success and education was always based on parent, parental involvement. It was both expected and welcomed. In my great state of Utah, these expectations of parents have not changed. We do not expect, nor will we tolerate, leftist teaching of our children behind our backs, the evil of CRT, how to hate our country and hate others based on skin color. Some of the most recent actions uh, that the Department of Justice have taken against parents are concerning. And I'd like to direct my questions around that topic. Uh, similar questions have been asked, and I do want to make sure make make it very clear that uh, to some of my constituents, some of the concerns I have. Uh, we can all agree that true threats and violence at school board meetings are inexcusable. Attorney General Garland, do you agree with the National School Board Association that parents who attend school board meetings and speak passionately against the inclusion of divisive programs like critical race theory
9: should be characterized as domestic terrorists? I do not believe that uh, parents who uh, um, testify, speak, argue with, complain about school boards and schools should be classified as domestic terrorists or any kind of criminals. Uh, Parents have been complaining about the education of their children and about uh, school boards since there were such things as school boards and public education. This is totally protected by the First Amendment. I take your point that true threats of violence are not protected by the First Amendment, those are the things we're worried about here okay could I just those are ahead? the
11: only things we're worried I, about here. okay, thank you so much for that. Is there a legal precedent for the Department of Justice to invest, to investigate peaceful protests or parent,
9: parental involvement at public schools uh, meetings? Uh, uh, just to say again, we are not investigating peaceful protest uh, or parent involvement?
2: That's a lie because we had the FBI in my last school board meeting Mr. Garland sitting there we had two feds why are you lying see let me tell you he's never going to come out and say you're not allowed to do it cuz he can't cuz that's illegal right but what they did was they threatened it so pussy parents, you know, the easy jump off shippers, they're like, well, I have a family to think about. I don't need to be labeled as a domestic terrorist. And, um, you know, I need to put my hand down. I'll let other people do the work for me. And I'll cheer from the sidelines. You know, those, right? That's why they did this, to scare you into submission, right? Because he was like, well, what are they going to say? Tori, you threaten them with the lawsuit? I can fucking do that. That's not a threat. That's an action, What are they going to say? You threaten that you're going to remove them? I can fucking do that because I'm in charge of that too. I vote. My voice matters. So does my friends. So where is that? Nowhere. It's, hey, we're going to come for you and we're going to find a way to do it. That's why they did it. This is why they did it. So he's not going to sit there and say you're not allowed to, even though Owens wanted to say something. This is all scripted. He's going to be like, no, no, no. It's credible threats. Where are the credible threats? That I'm gonna remove your ass from office or that I'm gonna sue your fucking ass. Which one? The one that's gonna expose the fraud of defrauding all Ohioans, right? For the vaccine millions, bullshit. Because while I was on the phone with Governor DeWine's office live, and I had someone there with me while I was on, they took that shit down. While I was on the phone, they took that shit down, they took the website down while I was five minutes into that call, which I played for all of you, that recording, I think I shared it, right? They took it down while I was talking. Okay. That's not a threat. That's you committed a crime. I already called the FBI beforehand. I already filed my reports. Then I'm going to call you and tell you, Hey, by the way, so tell me about this. And then watch you try to cover your fucking tracks. That's how you work. First, I collect the information Then I save the information. Then I tell you about it. Then you go try to cover that shit up. And I catch you trying to cover that shit up. See, busted. Or should we talk about getting money from open societies in the United Nations? Should we talk about, you know, commingling accounts and, I don't know, enriching each other from boards to foundations? Those are crimes. That's not violence. That's, dude, you're committing a crime. You're going to go down, down. So he can't say that. But what he went to was deter the vagina parents that kind of like the idea of going up against, you know, the school boards because they're the meek ones that are kind of on the fence. And then they back down because their kids aren't that important. Their paycheck is, not their kids
9: school board meetings. There's no uh, precedent for doing that, and we would never do that. We are only concerned about violence, threats of violence, against school administrators, teachers, staff, people like your mother, a teacher. That is what we're worried about. We are worried okay. about that across the board. We're worried Thank about you. threats against members of Congress. We're worried about threats against police. Thank you very much.
11: Thank you very much for that. I'm also a member of the Education and Labor Committee. Uh, on October...
2: Oh, gosh, that was some real whiplash. We're worried about threats against police. Wait a minute. So let's talk about that for a second. A Garland, threats against police. What about when they were torching the police station out in the Pacific Northwest? How do you feel about that? It was, what was it called? Peaceful protesting. While they're setting a police precinct on fire. In Cleveland, the police chiefs, former police chiefs, are freaking out. Because they want community police, you know, the Karens, you know, what China does, where they tell on you, right? That was in the news today, that they want community police, right? Chinese fucking shit, where it's your neighbors that's policing you. And their excuse, well, they're in a hood and they know, so we need them. And it's like, oh, you mean gangs? Because that's what community policing is, gangs. Gangs were very effective against big, strong government, weren't they? Gangs would protect their neighborhoods and then say, pay me because I'm protecting you. You think that that's not going to happen? Stop it. It's called gangs. Let's get it clear. Gangs. Uh, What is it called? Community policing. Gangs. And you know, someone super smart brought up to me, you know what? That's still in the Black Panther Charter. Holy crap. You don't say. So community policing, gangs, is not a threat to police, of course. That's why the police are up in arms saying, what the hell is going on here?
11: Republican members of this committee sent you a letter, uh, you and uh, Secretary Cardona, expressing a concern about uh, disparaging remarks that the secretary had made against parents. In this letter, we request that you brief the Education and Labor Committee before taking action on your threats to uh, parents' lawful expression of legitimate concerns. Uh have you received that letter and do you plan on testifying before the House Education Labor Committee?
9: I'm sorry I don't recollect the letter, but I'll ask my staff to find out where it is. Okay. Let me just say this as
11: I as I wrap this up, and I do appreciate you being here, uh, Attorney General. Um I watched a time, I was i was aware of a time when our race uh led our country and a men, a percentage of men matriculated from college, black men matriculated from college. I now have been aware of in 2017 studies that education, the public education, that 75% of the black boys in the state of California cannot pass standard reading and writing tests. That's a big shift, and the difference is in those days when I was growing up, parents were involved. There was an, and it was a, a, a trust that we can send our kids to school and they'll be taught how to love our country, love each other, and love education. That has been changed drastically, and. I think I'm going to implore uh, parents out there get involved. Now's the time. Do not trust any other adults, particularly our educational system, for the for the future of your kids. Get involved. Fight for your rights for your kids. Be taught how to how to love our country, love love education, and move forward. And I think we do that. We get back to the old school America where we can really appreciate the fact of who we are and in uh, the education system that should be teaching us how to how to do that. Uh, I yield back my time.
2: Yeah, You,
1: better you just watch Newsmax
2: TV, TV, America's fastest growing... It's important that you see the good, the bad, you know. But speaking of police, here's some weird trend that I'm seeing. Any police officer that stands up, right? Any police officer that stands up and speaks against anything that these governments are doing. Remember, the police department gets the shittiest wages. They get the shittiest pay, right? The shittiest, hoping that they'll advance... <laughs> And they do it because they kind of like it. And it's a steady job. But when they speak up, they get in a lot of trouble. And so we see that in Illinois. But something came across my purview yesterday. There was chatter in the back end in Louisiana, right? And why Louisiana? I don't know. You know, I was paying attention to Louisiana politics, kind of thinking about it, kind of trying to peer in and see what's there, what's not. Well, in uh, Lafayette, right? Apparently, there was an interim police chief that was appointed. His name is Wayne Griffin. Now, he's just today been put, well, it was yesterday that they decided this. This is where I picked it up. But it's now been finalized. That their mayor uh, slash president, Gulroy ordered his suspension under investigation because of sexual harassment. Now, how real is that? I don't know. But it seems a little bit weird because there was a lot of negative chatter in the background talking shit about him. So it was politicians that were talking shit about him. See, when you guys do things in your states, there are a lot of us that look at the back end to see and test the water. You know, kind of like where you kind of stick your pinky in just to test the water temperature. Is it scorching? Is it good? Can you jump in, you know, where you put your toes in? Is it too cold? Right. Right. Everybody looks to see because everybody cares about everybody, right? I hope you guys understand that because that's fact. And this came across and I was like, what is going on here? It seems super duper weird. Why are they doing So who knows? Is he one of them? Is he against them? Do they hate him? I don't know. But it seems pretty weird that all of this is going out. Now, we're not finished with A.D. Garland yet. We should watch this video, Thank too. Mr. Buck.
7: Thank, Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Mr. Attorney General, I'd like to direct your attention to the easel behind me. Uh, the first painting is a Claude Monet.
9: I'm sorry, I can't, I can't read any of the
7: words. Uh, you don't need to. Okay. You just need to look at this great painting right here. It's a very beautiful painting. It is beautiful, and uh, it is listed at Christie's for $700,000. Now, Claude Monet was uh, the founder of the Impressionist uh, movement, something I didn't know until... I researched it. Um, the second painting is a Degas, It uh, another world-renowned artist. And this painting sold for $500,000. The third painting, you may recognize this name, is a Hunter Biden. Uh, Biden I, don't, painting, I don't recognize the painting. The Hunter Biden painting sold for $500,000 also. Now, you may think that such an exclusive um, that that when Hunter Biden is in such exclusive company, that he would have a background, you know, artistic training, for example. Um, But you would be wrong if you thought that. And you might think that he had some sort of apprenticeship with a world-renowned artist, but you would be wrong again if you thought that. Or perhaps that he has been selling his works for years, and again, unfortunately, you would be wrong. It turns out that in 2019, Hunter Biden couldn't find a gallery to list his art. And what happened in 2020 that changed all that? His dad became president of the United States. Now a single piece of art from Hunter Biden sells for more than the average American home. This art arrangement is so suspicious that the Obama administration ethics czar, Walter Schaub, tweeted on July 10th of this year, Hunter Biden should cancel this art sale because he knows the prices are based on his dad's job. Shame on POTUS. If he doesn't ask Hunter to stop. By the way, Mr. Attorney General, this is the same Hunter Biden who's being investigated by your department and the IRS. All right, let's get this straight. Sorry,
2: I thought I was talking. I was muted. Good thing, because I just went off. Senator <clears throat> Representative Buck is making a very good point. Two, Attorney General Garland, you're investigating him. The IRS is investigating him. Let us talk about this art. <laughs> Fantastic art. No, 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 no. i probably paint that with my toes and my eyes blindfolded. It's not about that. Oh, it's because he's Joe Biden's son. So they're elevating his art and making him an art- artiste. Shut the fuck up. If you believe that they sold his painting. Right. And they made it go sky high rocket that they, you know, did it because he's Joe Biden's son and they wanted to make him feel good. You're dumb. You're beyond dumb. You're not savable dumb. Okay. I'll tell you why. This is why I haven't reported on the art. Funny story about the art. So you can understand how this goes. So my friend and I that work together uh, left a meeting and we were going to get some things. We needed to buy some things for something we were doing. And as we were doing that, we were in the um, uh, Upper East Side of Manhattan. We found a place on our map and said, yeah, let's just walk it out. It's just like, you know, six, eight blocks. Let's go. In the meantime, I was like, yo, we've got a couple of hours. Maybe we can meet up my lawyers and one of my um, Telegram moderators for a quick coffee before our next meeting. Sounds fantastic. So we're like all right, well, let's go over there and see what we're getting. Head to the hotel and then see where they're at. So as we're walking there and Russell, my lawyer knows, cause he carried it <laughs> to the post office. Um, we were walking there. Some old rich dude died. Guess what? We walked through. I am not kidding you. We walked right into it during the discussion of Hunter's art. I kid you not. We came up on a stack of Chinese stuffs from Christie's and Sotheby's. Now, why is this important? You'll figure it out later when we report it. But you're not stupid. You can do the math. Why would anyone, why does anyone buy, let me, let's say I want to get paid by the Saudis. I want MBS to give me $5 million, right? Now, if he wires me $5 million, I'm fucked, right? IRS is going to be like, why is MBS giving you that shit? I could say I'm really good at high fives, better than Putin at the G20 summit. Nope, not going to work. I could say, oh, uh, you know, I wrote a nice article about him and he paid me. I consulted. Nope. That sounds like a lot of money for one piece of thing. But if I want to bring that money in legitimately, here's what I do. I grab a canvas. I put it between my toes. A paint. I put a paintbrush between my toes, and I start painting. Then I dry that shit up. Then I find a friend of mine at Christie's or Sotheby's that I know, and I'm like, "Yo, I did all these paintings." they're going to be like, yeah, okay, well, that's nice. You're not an artist. And it's like, it doesn't matter. I'm going to make a lot of money because people are going to pay me for these. So I'm going to have a couple people from Saudi Arabia, Qatar, China, maybe another place in China, maybe another place in, I don't know, Iran, right? And they're all going to call up this art group and say... Hey, um, I'm looking forward to Tori's paintings. Are you going to be showcasing them? Because I'm going to take a look, Sotheby's or Christie's. I want to take a look at that shit. And they're going to be like, what? Um, but I have this artist and then I don't give a fuck about Picasso. Who cares? I want to see Tori. I want to see Tori. I want to see a show of Tori because I want to see her painting. And suddenly the gallery is lit up with shit paintings that I've done blindfolded with my toes that looks like not that good. Right, And then I put the painting up and, oh, you guessed it. One of the paintings was bought for $5 million by MBS. See how that works. This is how you launder money. No one's going to tell you what price art is. I could take a bottle, melt fucking wax on it, right, and then carve my name in it and it's art. And then you're like, yo, it's mind blowing. It's this. What's a court going to tell you? No, it's not. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And we like her tantalizing bottle with wax. So we pay $5 million for that bottle of wax of her burning candles so it doesn't smell like cigarette in her studio. You see, that's how it works. But regardless, let's continue. For tax fraud,
7: selling fakes or, selling or having a fake skill set is nothing new to Hunter Biden. When his dad was vice president... Hunter Biden received $50,000 a month from a Ukrainian oligarch to sit on a board of an energy company. What was Hunter Biden's background in energy? Not a nothing zilch. Soon after he received his dad, um, soon after he and his dad got off Air Force Two in China, Hunter Biden became a private equity guru and assisted with a Chinese private equity firm linked to the Chinese Central Bank. You might ask what his background was with Pacific Rim Investments or the Chinese Central Bank. Nothing. With his dubious track record inquiring minds, might question why any art gallery would want to sell Hunter Biden's art. Well, this particular art gallery had its COVID relief loan more than doubled by the Biden administration. In a survey of more than 100 art galleries in New York's 10th Congressional District, this particular art gallery received by far the largest SBA disaster loan. And as an aside, Mr. Attorney General, the member who represents the 10th Congressional District is none other than Chairman Nadler. Mr. Attorney General, who buys Hunter Biden's art? Who benefits? What benefits do they receive from the Biden administration? The American people want to know. I have sent a letter to the Department of Justice before your tenure asking them to appoint a special counsel to investigate Hunter Biden. I have uh, today sent a letter to you, and I am asking you uh, now, will you appoint a special counsel to investigate Hunter Biden? I'm
9: not, uh, for the same reason that I'm not uh, able to respond to questions about investigations of the former president or of anyone else, I'm not able to discuss uh, any investigations pending or otherwise with respect to any uh,
7: citizen of the United States. Mr. Mr. Uh, Attorney General, I worked for the Department of Justice for 15 years. You are allowed to tell us whether you will appoint a special counsel. You may not tell us whether you are uh, investigating or not investigating a particular matter, but you are allowed to tell us whether you will appoint a special counsel, and that's my question.
9: Well, apparently I just received the letter today from you, and uh, we'll be taking it under
7: advisement, but I I wasn't aware that you had sent me a letter. Okay, I appreciate it. Uh, Mr. Chairman, I yield back, but I would like to first place into the record two articles. uh, One from Vox, why Obama's former ethics czar is highly critical of Hunter Biden's lucrative art sales, and a second from the New York Post, art galley repping Hunter Biden received $500,000 federal COVID loan records show.
4: Without objection, gentleman yields back.
7: Uh, you're back, yes.
4: Gentleman yields back, Mr. Swallowell.
12: General Garland, uh, you may not get these four hours back, but, but you may get, get some, some art history, history credit uh, for, for today. today. Um,
2: <laughs> uh, we got to get rid of him. All right, we're done with that. All right, we're done with that. We're not going to listen to Well, him and his fang-fang that did the bang-bang, and just they're bang-banging our country, okay? They're bang-banging our country with these Chinese. Now... We have a lot coming up. Um, I want you guys, uh, we're gonna we're gonna go through the capital controls real quick. Um, then we're gonna take a hiatus where I'm gonna show you some fun facts rather than music. And then we're gonna kick it off with Reagan because you gotta listen to that. So we're gonna listen to it in its entirety and it's gonna be quite interesting. Now when I'm talking about, I've talked about capital controls for a long time. It's funny how nobody else has, and it's so weird because people think it's not going to happen. Oh, uh, before we do that, I just wanted to point out, did you know that Condoleezza Rice actually called out CRT on the view today? How crazy is that? I just wanted to make that mention because that was super weird that it came across that a Bush appointee would sit there and say um, that this is a problem. Now, here, it's it's kind of weird, right? It's kind of weird. I mean, that's a new part of the script, but there's got to be some strategy to that. Damn, don't, don't they get it? Prolonging it 50 years now. Nothing can stop what's coming. Nothing. But anyway, let's play along. Banks do not work for the
9: IRS. Distrust the American people so much that you need to know when they bought a couch or a cow?
13: It's so darn true. Uh, That was Wyoming Senator Cynthia Loomis talking about an item that was literally just discovered in President Biden's $3.5 trillion spending plan because it's more than 2,000 pages long. If passed, every bank in America would be required to report any transaction over $600. Not a lot of money, which is a massive change from the current $10,000 threshold. Joining us now for more on this, the CEO of Chickasaw Bank and Oklahoma Transportation Commissioner, a weekly panelist on Wake Up America, and a friend and a great guy. T.W. Shannon is with us. T.W., great to have you all to myself, just one-on-one, um, but I figured you were the perfect person to ask about this, the spending plan. If it's passed, this is going to target 99% of the population in America. More than 300 million people would be affected by this day one. Why does the IRS need this information?
12: Yeah, Rob, first of all, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. This is a Treasury proposal, as you mentioned, that is part of the $3.5 trillion infrastructure spending spree, or as Congressman Kennedy called it, uh, the the spending orgy, uh, if you will. But this is actually frightening, and it's reminiscent of KGB-style governing. I mean, you've got a proposal that requires every bank in America to essentially report to the IRS every transaction that's over $600, and it would really make us the policing arm of the IRS. I mean, it's really uh, a regulation of community banks that's going to regulate us out of existence. And whether, you know, the donations to your church or you're buying a rifle, IRS federal agents would have an eye on your transaction. This is already a large portion of unbanked Americans who are hesitant with our banking system anyway, and this would only grow that number. Uh, it's quite chilling that President Biden at this time would be proposing such a proposal in order to ra- raise revenue. Uh, to pay for this out of control spending you're seeing in Washington. Yeah, with
13: D.C. a 38% approval rating right now on this <laughs> Thursday morning. Um, tell me, just just from a mechanical standpoint, you you run a very large bank there in the Midwest. Sure. Um, what I know that the IRS has to report annually transactions, but what benefit would they get from knowing if I take $600 out to to buy whatever a TV?
12: Well, the claim is is that this would give the IRS the ability to better track people who are avoiding taxes. So if you're a Corps or or an LLC or some other business, this would allow them uh, basically to to compare uh, your income to what you're reporting to the IRS. Allegedly, that's it. But again, as we know, uh, when you empower these bureaucrats in Washington, DC, very dubious things can happen. And often it's conservatives who are targeted. My real problem with this piece of uh, this idea or proposal is that you're going to make Americans guilty until proven innocent? Yes. And it should be the exact opposite. Exactly, that's really what we're trying to get out of here. And again, we as community banks, we're already competing with you know Bitcoin and other digital currencies. We're competing with uh, new new items that are on the market as far as fintech. We don't need another regulation that's actually going to increase uh, our costs and also make it more difficult for us to bank. Uh, people who need to be banked. So and, and, and this is another honest. overreach by the by the Biden administration, where you see them weaponizing uh, agencies against Americans.
13: Yeah, and there and therein lies the the secret sauce. I think uh, eighty billion dollars is attached to this bill to hire IRS agents to audit the American people. That's how they're going to pay for this thing. They're going to know what you're spending. They're going to audit you, and they're going to uh, they're going to do it to millions of people, and and no one seems to care. Uh, but I'm glad that this bill was delayed a little bit so we could actually discover that this was in there. Uh, T.W. Shannon, we'll see you tomorrow back on the panels right here on Wake Up America. We appreciate the...
2: It's so interesting. They're going to come... and So you buy a new couch? Shit. And the IRS needs to know about it. Who are they targeting? Oh, that's right. Small businesses. Not enough that they're making small businesses die out completely. But anyone that's an LLC, a small corporation, they're fucked. They're fucked. You're not going to have shit. I don't care how crafty your tax preparer and your accountant is. I'm a fuck you because no, you don't abide by my rules. You do not get to be rich. We need the 1% and the rest of you, and we need a big gap between it. So now when you file taxes, they'll just pull your bank records and take a look and say, wait a minute, you paid $600 for your home insurance. Uh, I need to see your whole bank account now. You need to see, you need, you paid what? Um, you paid $600 for your car payment. Well, now that gives me full and unfettered access to all your banking accounts. You spent, you know, $600, $602 uh, as a doctor's copay. Now I get access to your whole fucking bank account. You spent $600 on buying a cow because you want to expand your farm. I get to get unfettered access to all your banking and savings because I said so. Oh, and then all that documentation might fucking be leaked too. Oops. Oops. You see, that's how that works. Capital controls. That is how they control people. But they'll tell you that it's all about good things because it helps a country control how much money goes in and out. It helps a country tighten influx of money and outflux of money, right? That's it. They're just looking out for you. Why get upset? Why get upset? Stop it. Now, All of us are going to get smart and start using our debit. We're going to have like a million checking accounts. And when we're going to be paying for insurance, we'll be like, bill 300 on this one, 200 on this one, and $10 on that one, please. But it's not going to work. Guess what? Because they're going to go retroactive, I guess. You see, he passes it and everything starts in 2022. But in 2022, you file, can they pull the records for 2021? That's a good question. That's a very good question. Very good question. If you buy a fridge, you've just given permission for them to enter your bank accounts and clip it that way. So, okay, the law is going to be passed now. Let's all get smart about it, huh? Wait a minute. You can't. You get a salary, don't you? Oh, shit. You get over $600 in direct deposit. Guess what? You're fucked. You've just given them access to your bank account. You see how that goes? It's done, it's over. You pay your mortgage, you pay your rent, it's over $600. So how do you get out of that? You don't.
14: We've had 40 years of exchange rates in the developed world to move. The result of all that has been a whole series of asset bubbles and a huge expansion of debt relative to GDP. It's very hard to see how that's sustainable, how to put the genie back in the bottle. One answer would be to have capital controls. Capital control is a way of monitoring the flow of money in and out of the economy.
15: We have border controls at the airport, for example. When people come in, we check their passports. Capital controls would be a way to do the same thing for money.
16: For the past 35 years, the world's largest financial institutions and most Western governments have worked to strip away all obstacles to the free flow of money from country to country. The idea is simple. The freer the money, the more prosperous we all become. But is free-flowing money really the panacea we'd all hope?
15: A country has to care about what kind of money comes in. So just like you wouldn't want to let a terrorist into your country as a person, you might not want financial terrorists to come into your country and decimate your economy with their activities.
5: The short-term objectives of investors are often conflicting with the objectives of a country. The problem with short-term capital is that uh, it seeks uh, the highest uh, uh, return possible.
14: That money can go out as fast as it can come in. So the danger is you get these uh, sort of hothouse effects as money goes into the economy, driving up your exchange rate, driving up property prices, and then you kind of get a nasty out the plug hole effect as they take it out. Suddenly property prices crash, your banks crash, your currency crashes, and uh, you get this awful mess that results. <laughs> Some economists believe that capital controls are harmful because they are an artificial restraint on the market. Capital should flow to where the best investment opportunities occur. The trouble with letting capital flow freely is that investors aren't always completely rational, or rather one might say that they elevate short-term profits over long-term profits.
16: Neoliberalism has come to dominate economic policy in the modern world. As the wisdom goes, removing restrictions on the flow of capital will ensure that investment naturally makes its way from rich countries to poorer ones. But this doesn't seem to be happening.
15: The theories which predict that you might have some costs from regulating capital flows actually don't bear any relation to reality as we experience it. It's not just about money and where it's moving, because when a financial crisis happens, it creates unemployment. It reduces, you know, people's livelihoods and security in their jobs.
5: Financial crises in developing countries have um, devastating impacts. For example, looking at the impact of the Argentinian financial crisis, nearly sixty percent of people by the end of the crisis had um, had fallen below the poverty line. of children were living below the poverty line, unemployment had doubled,
15: Um, income inequality had widened. And so it creates societies which are less well, they have less well-being, and people are less happy out of it. A
14: classic example perhaps was Thailand in the 1990s. They had this huge bubble and boom as money flowed into the economy. It all went into building new office blocks and other speculative investments. And then all the money went out again. So it was as if you'd had this massive storm which went all through the sewers at one moment. A lot of stuff flowed out of the sewers as a result, not all of which smelling very pleasant, and this island went through a very deep recession after they were forced to devalue their currency in the late 1990s.
16: Most of us would agree that developing countries must seek investment from developed ones in order to grow. But some kinds of investment are better than others.
14: What you want is long-term money, money that builds factories, money that goes into employing people in the economy in long-term jobs, because then that money will stay.
15: And I think the evidence has been that countries that have done this, they haven't experienced any drop in the kind of investment that they would want. On the contrary, actually, as you put in these kind of regulations, you make your economy more stable, you make things more predictable, you make your exchange rate more stable, and then investors actually have a better prospect for investing for the long term.
16: While emerging markets are naturally most at risk, it now seems that even more stable economies are not completely safe from
14: bubbles that will one day burst. We've had a recent example of something similar in Iceland, where Iceland had this very high interest rates, very strong currency, caused a speculative boom, and of course then everything collapsed, and Iceland now has capital controls to protect it.
5: <laughs>
14: Other developed markets are also finding
16: themselves hamstrung by existing liberal policies.
5: A country such as Greece, which has seen huge levels of capital flight recently, is unable to impose capital controls to try to limit that.
15: It's written into the Lisbon Treaty. It's not even a regulation. It's, it's the constitution of Europe, if you will, that you have to have free movement of capital. And, that, and not only do you have to have it within Europe, but you're supposed to demand it of all your trading partners as well.
5: The current financial crisis has started in the the United States and uh, has uh, impacted uh, many countries in the world uh, through a contagion effect. So it is important to actually consider that uh, countries cannot just uh, look at uh, domestic regulation, but it is important to really reconsider the international regulations.
15: We should also remember that this is not the way it always is. This is not the natural state of affairs. You know, in the past, we actually had quite strict rules about where money could move and how. Originally, back in 1945, the IMF actually believed very strongly in using capital controls, and they believed that for the first 30 years of their existence. The problem was is that as the last century drew
5: to a the close, there was a lot of pressure from the West for developing nations to open up their economies. Now, the argument was that this would facilitate private investment in these countries, it would facilitate the flow of capital from rich countries to poor countries. But Of course, one has to keep in mind that this was also serving the interests of investors. Brazil, for example, has implemented a financial transaction tax, otherwise known as a Robin Hood tax, and this is explicitly to try to um, penalise and thus reduce speculation. Other examples include countries like China, which has enjoyed extraordinary levels of growth recently. China has strict limitations on what non-residents can invest in with regards to shares and bonds. And then you've got countries like India, which effectively ban foreign investment in Indian banks. Joseph Stiglitz, who's a Nobel Prize winning economist and the former uh, chief economist at the World Bank um, did lots of studies into the Asian financial crisis and he found that countries that uh, implemented capital controls, so for example Malaysia had um, much shorter and much shallower downturns than countries that didn't.
14: Financiers do find their way around capital controls and it is a problem facing particularly modern economists in devising a way to control capital.
15: Money is a bit like a river. It can flow around the obstacles that get put in its place. But the point is we can try also to channel the water. There's lots of ways that we've designed systems to manage the risks. You need to think about creating some limits and boundaries within which the water can flow as it sees fit. I'm definitely optimistic about the prospects for controlling international financial flows. And the reason is that the countries which are becoming more powerful and richer in our international system understand that completely unfettered markets and completely unregulated flows of money are risky and dangerous.
5: The US and the UK at the moment are desperately trying to, to stimulate their economies. And one of the ways that they've been doing this is through something called quantitative easing, which many people would describe as, as printing money. Now, as countries like the US have announced these schemes, countries like China have um, have shouted out and, and protested, basically saying, well, this money isn't actually staying in the US. It's going straight out of the US. It's being invested in things like commodities and emerging markets like China. So they're essentially saying you're not helping the US economy and you're just causing the Chinese economy to overheat.
16: Huge global economic imbalances also arise from the sheer size of the U.S. budget and trade deficits, which the Chinese government is funding by having a seemingly limitless appetite for buying and holding U.S. government debt.
14: It doesn't sound like a good deal for the Chinese in the long run. And basically, the Americans are getting goods and the Chinese accumulating little bits of paper on which they know the Americans will renege. So if we get a system whereby the huge economic imbalances are not as destabilizing as they turned out to be in the last 10 years, then that will be good news for the global economy. But it's not the sort of agreement that gets hammered out overnight. It's going to emerge over five or 10 years.
2: Hmm. How does that make you feel? Makes you feel really crappy, right? Because you know what's coming. And they know too. They just don't care. Now, we're going to go into a break. And we're going to learn about the 10 most powerful angels in Islam
17: essential belief in the religion of Islam. It is believed that the number of angels that exist vastly outnumber the number of of the most powerful angels in Islam. Now coming in at number 10 and number 9, we have Rakib and Atid. So this one counts as two entries. In Islamic tradition, the two Kiraman Katabin are two angels called Rakib and Atid. And they are the angels believed by Muslims to record a person's actions throughout their entire life. It's literally almost like they have video cameras rolling like the paparazzi all day, every day, no matter where you are. But whether a person is sent to Jannah, which is heaven, or Jahannam, which is hell, is not necessarily dependent on what their good deeds are and how the good deeds outweigh the bad deeds but it's ultimately up to God's mercy upon a person. Moving on to number eight and number seven, this is also a double entry, Munker and Nakir. These names translate to the denied and the denier. And these angels, they're actually the ones that question a person when they lose their lives and they're in the grave and their belief is questioned and what they know about prophet muhammad is also questioned so the soul of a deceased person will be in the grave in an upright position placed like that by Munkir and nakir and that person is asked to identify who prophet muhammad is now right people will acknowledge that he is the messenger of god and that person will be allowed to rest in peace until the day of judgment. And these two angels, they also punish those in the grave who do not believe or were hypocrites and sinners while they're alive on earth. The next powerful angel to look at comes in at number six, and this is Ridwan, also known as Rizwan or Ridvan. He is an archangel according to Islam, and he's known as the angel of paradise, so he guards the gates of heaven. Heaven. In the tradition of Kisas al-Anbiwa, Ridwan is given the task of preventing Iblis, the devil, From getting too close to Adam, but was tricked by a serpent who concealed Iblis in his mouth and carried him past him. Now, in art, Ridwan is often portrayed as standing in the clouds of heaven or standing in a beautiful garden, which are both symbolic of paradise. All right, guys, halfway in at number five, we have the angel Israfil. He's responsible for blowing the trumpet that will be the signal of the end of the earth. As a matter of fact, it would be the end of all creation. It's believed that Israfil will blow the trumpet from a holy rock in Jerusalem to announce the Day of Resurrection, also known as the Day of Judgment. And he's commonly thought of as the counterpart of the Judeo-Christian archangel named Raphael. And waiting to blow the trumpet is not Israfil's only task, but it is his most significant task. And unlike some of the other angels in this list, he's not mentioned in the Quran. Moving on to number four, this powerful angel is Malik. Malik is an angel in hell and purgatory, and he administers hellfire. And he's assisted by 19 other subordinate angels. The Prophet Muhammad had met Angel Malik during his heavenly journey. So when Muhammad arrived in heaven and all the angels greeted him with smiles on their faces says the angel Malik didn't smile at all so when Muhammad asked about this why his face doesn't look so happy at all another angel reveals that Malik is the guardian of hell and because of that he never ever smiles moving on now to number three we have the angel Azrael the angel Azrael is the angel of death and that is Malak al-Mut in Arabic And he takes away the lives of people at god's command swiftly just like that so yes he's in charge of ending people's lives and many other angels work under him so he may not necessarily be the one that specifically takes everybody's life and some angels under him take away the lives of good people while others who often appear in very frightful forms take away the lives of sinners and disbelievers powerful angel at number two is mikhail and he's referred to as michael in christianity he's one of the archangels and is said to be responsible for the forces of nature mikhail is often depicted as the archangel of mercy so he's said to be very friendly, and he asked God for mercy for humans, and he it is said that he was one of the first ones to bow down before Adam at God's command. He is responsible for the rewards given out to good people in this life, and he's believed to guard places of worship. Mikhail is also credited as one of the angels that purified Prophet Muhammad's heart before his night journey, or Isra, from Mecca to Jerusalem and his later ascension, or Miraj, to heaven. Mikhail is also noted as helping the Muslims in their first significant military victory, which was the Battle of Badr in Arabia in the year 624. And finally, in at number one spot, the angel Jibreel. The angel Jibreel is one of the main archangels and the angel of revelation who is assigned by God to reveal the Quran to the prophet Muhammad. And in biblical literature, Gabriel is a counterpart of Jibril. Jibril was also assigned to deliver the message to Mary that she would have a son, Jesus. And in the Hadith, it is mentioned that the angel Jibril accompanied Muhammad during Miraj, which was an ascension of the Prophet Muhammad into the heavens. Jibril in his true form has been described as having 600 wings. And each pair of wings is so big that they cover the entire sky. It is also believed that Angel Jibril descends to the earth on the night of Laylat al-Qadr, which is a night of fate, which is a night in the last 10 days of the holy month of Ramadan of the Islamic lunar calendar. This is said to be the night in which the Quran was first revealed. All right, guys, so that brings us to the end of another episode. This was a look at 10 of the most powerful angels in Islam. Of course, I want to hear your thoughts and comments down below. And before we get out and out of here, just want to take this time to mention our members here on FTD4. So
2: I know a lot of people are like, what? And it's like, you need to know these things. You need to understand these things because these things will be coming at you very soon. So it's not a bad thing to know what they want you to not know because these are going to disappear, these videos, all of them. They're going to disappear soon. You're gonna see a lot of draws and similarities. This is just food for thought because I know a lot of you like to read, like to have discussions, like to provoke your thoughts. So I hope that um, that gave you a little bit of provocation of thought. Now, as I said, I think it's important that we revisit a very old video. It's from the 3rd of January, 1975. This is before Ronald Reagan ran, before he became president uh, and I think it's very important that we kind of take in what he had to tell us then. It was, um, how do I say, I want to say interesting, right? Interesting. It was quite Interesting. So that was a fun fact for our break. We're gonna take a quick music one and set this one up because it's being funny with me. Um, give me a second. I'll see you guys in just three minutes. let's get to it now. Let's, 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 um, gosh, this video is driving me insane. I kid you not, you guys. It's like, it's as if YouTube, I should have archived it before, um, lining up to play it. (laughs) Honestly, I should have done that, but I thought that it would be okay. And just now it was like, yeah, you're not going to do this. So give me a second. Let me just get it back. There we go. It's part two, there's two parts. This is um, part two. Um, Like I said, it was with um, uh, Johnny Carson and it was before he ran, this is from 1975. You must listen to this interview in its entirety. It'll, It'll be quite fascinating to see just how everything aligns with what's happening today.
18: talking with uh, former Governor Reagan and uh, during the break we were discussing. When I mentioned uh, that I thought most people uh, were not apathetic, I think they're confused, basically, because you hear intelligent people from uh, both political parties or in the middle, conservatives and liberals, and they all seem to have different answers as to what is going wrong in the country. Some people say, well, let's let the government spend billions of dollars. And then some other people say, no, no more federal spending. Uh, let's give the tax rebates. And the other intelligent people say, no tax rebates, we've got
10: to do this and do that. So everybody is confused. Uh, How how, how do you see the thing? How are we going to get out of this? Well, uh, Johnny, I think that one of the things is that people keep looking to government for the answer, and government's the problem. A moment ago you you asked, you know, about people and feeling not only confused, but low and, and down in America. First of all, the American people, if they were just take a little inventory and look around. You triple our troubles, and we're better off than any other people on Earth. And we've asked so much of government, and we've gotten in the habit over the last 40 years of thinking that government has the answers. There's very little that government can do as economically as the people can do themselves. And if government would shut the doors and sneak away for about three weeks, we'd never miss them. Now, uh, the—if if the people Anybody want to Anybody you had in mind particularly? <laughs> no i said this while i was in government (laughs) okay our biggest problem is that we have built a permanent structure of government federal state and local the permanent employees and they've come to the place that they actually fully determine policy in this country more than does the congress of the united states Mm -hmm. there are 14 and a half million public employees in the united states that's quite a voting block and the bureaus and agencies not in washington i heard you talking earlier about Uh, some of the research programs. Mm -hmm. Well, there was a senator the other day and he took up some pages of the congressional record. He was doing the same thing you were, listing all these crazy research programs and how much they were costing and wound up his speech by introducing his own. He wants a study and a research of transcendental meditation. (laughs) So, Uh, you know, there's a state senator in Michigan and he just found out the other day they got a $93,000 study on whether chitlins are bad for you. (laughs) And and he said that as a fourth generation chitlin eater, he figured that he could tell you how for 93 cents you could find out the answer to that. No, we laugh at those things, but they do happen, I guess. Oh, listen, there, you, you had some beauties and there's some others. What would you say if I told you about one, a study in which this was called the, um, the uh, demography of happiness? And in this study, the government found out that uh, young people are happier than old people. <laughs> And uh, they found out that people that earn more are happier than people that earn less. And they found out that, well, people are happier than sick people. That's good. Well, should, uh, this was $249,000 to find out it's better to be rich, young, and healthy than old, poor, and sick.
18: <laughs> so what do you say now that it's that the government may be the problem? So, uh, So what do people do? They well, have to look to somebody, and you say, if they look for themselves, that's, uh, it may be good advice, but how about somebody home. who's on a, you know, a Social Security pension or a pension that's trying to live on $150 a month? You know, they have to look to somebody, I guess. Yeah. They're saying, hey, we can't make it. We can't afford to go to a doctor.
10: Uh, well, 62% of the people can't stay home in an election and cure things, as we did in the last election. I just read this
18: week on, the, I heard this week on the radio, they dropped 300,000 voters from the Los Angeles roll because they didn't take the
10: time to go to the polls in the last election. 300,000 people. was the lowest percentage in history. Only 38% of the people voted in the national election. And this means that people aren't paying any attention to what... Well, here, a poll was taken recently that found out that only 46% of the people in the poll could name their United States congressman. But what was worse, 86% of those who could name him couldn't tell you a single thing that he represented or stood for. They just knew that he represented the yeah, state. Yeah, he was a congressman, well. but what's he doing while he's up there? And the same is true at the, at the local levels of government and and all the rest. But um, So you're saying people really have to take an active interest, and you have to have con, uh, citizen That's action right. groups locally and... Uh, and let them know. Concerned See, the special interest in groups... Now, the special interest groups aren't, as everyone thought, big, powerful business interests or something that are going to persuade government to do things. As a matter of fact, I don't know anyone with less influence today in government than business. They're just a convenient mm-hmm. whipping boy. But it's the groups that have got a particular axe to grind. You can't have a power plant because it might interfere with the, the seagulls. Now, I think I'm an environmentalist. And I do not agree with those people way over on the edge who pave the whole country over in the name of progress. But also, I don't like those on the other extreme that won't let you build a house unless it looks like a bird's nest. Someplace in the middle, we've got to allow people or ecology, too. Right. Well, this kind of group, and they want their particular program. Hundreds of dollars have been added to the cost of an automobile putting gadgets on it to to clear up the air. We're the only country in the world that set out to do it that way. The automobile industry over and over again told government if they give them more time, the right. answer lay in making the motor more efficient and making it burn the fuel better. And uh, when they were given the limited time, there was only one thing they could turn to. That was the add-ons that you had to go. And uh, the
18: verdict is really kind of still out on... On those, whether they're, they're going to add more sulfuric acid to the to the air or not? Yeah. What do you think is going to happen? Now, you've been asked this question. I'm sure you knew that I was would might possibly bring it up tonight. Uh, there's an election coming up. You're uh, you're out of politics now, but you, you're speaking, and as I say, you're going around the country. Um, you envision a possibility, of, say in '76, if the convention say was deadlock. I'm giving you all the theories and so forth, and. The conservatives took over, possibly, and got control of the uh, of the electoral process, and they couldn't quite make a decision. And they came to you and said, uh, "Governor Reagan, uh, we can't decide between Mr. Ford, and Mr. Rockefeller. We're divided. Um, would you like to uh, would you like to go to the White House?" Uh,
10: you remember that answer I gave you about the CIA? Yeah.
18: <laughs> oh, come on, come on, <laughs> I not buy <laughs> now, I, I can understand the yeah. CIA now, yeah. but uh, no, I, I think thought that was
10: delicately phrased. I, <laughs> yes, verbose but delicate. Yeah, verbose but delicate. <laughs> I, uh, no, I think it's an unanswerable question. I don't think anyone in view of the things that have gone on in the last few years knows what's going to happen in the, in the next two years mm-hmm. down the road. I think that everyone should hope and pray that people are there, will do the job so well that there won't be any question mm-hmm. about it. Because if they do, then everything's all right with the rest of us. Uh, You think they're doing their job well? Well, I agree with some things and disagree with others. (laughs) When they give me a a choice between a $53 billion deficit in the budget and an $80 billion deficit, when budget deficits are what's causing inflation, I don't see that there's any room to be on either side of that argument. I think the answer to curing inflation is a balanced budget. Now, how do you do that? I mean, yeah. it's not, how do you balance the budget? Well, balancing the budget is like protecting your virtue. You don't spend virtue. more than you take in, right? Yeah, it's like protecting your virtue. You have to learn to say no.
18: <laughs> There's got to be another way.
1: <laughs>
10: What's the second option? <laughs> well... No, there's some ways that this could be brought about. First of all, that limitation. Here's another one. Why shouldn't we have, in addition to a simplified income tax, why shouldn't we also have a law that says that any time a legislator or a congressman introduces a spending program, he has to introduce with it a tax program to pay for it? Then let the people find out. There was a woman uh, from a financial firm that was back at the President's Economic Council, and her words weren't quoted. Everybody else's words got in the paper, all the... Heller's and the breaths, and all the so-called economists. And I, had a, I have a degree in economics, so I can say this. I think an economist is someone who has a 5 Beta Kappa key on one end of his watch chain and no watch on the other. Uh, this one said that you go to the polls and you ask the people, do they want some social service, some program that government can give, and the people in the polls are apt to read and say, that sounds good, yeah. Mm-hmm. But she says that isn't exactly accurate. She says, put a $100 bill in each person's hand. And then show them the program and say, now, isn't that a nice program? Do you want it? Give me the $100. And she says, see what the poll says then and how many people hang on to the $100 instead of the program. In other words, if it's rather hidden and someone doesn't know exactly yeah. where it's going to come from. They down, all start, all the government programs start a dollar down and we'll catch you later. And uh, and they they multiply all of those things that you were. The Office of Management and Budget in Washington that's responsible for the budget, putting up putting the budget together cannot even tell you how many boards, commissions, agencies, bureaus, and departments there are in the federal government. Yeah. But all of them can pass regulations. And those regulations have the force of law. And the difference is when you break the law, you're innocent until proven guilty. When you break a regulation, the fellow charges you with a the regulation, you're guilty. Right. And if you want to take him to court and prove you're innocent, that's up to you. Right. And uh, all of these are things that... that um, Yes, we can trim the budget. There's no. enough fat in the federal government that if you rendered it, you could wash the world. You, uh, now you took.
18: They took a poll of the American people the past week, and I think 78% or something, around 75%, were opposed to more military aid to uh, Vietnam and Cambodia and Southeast Asia in general. And yet the administration uh, wished. Trying to tell the American people that a couple hundred million or two hundred and twenty-two million dollars would make some kind of difference, or that the government might make it. And uh, how, how do you feel? Do you think that that is a, a lost cause in a way? I think people can see humanitarian, um, you know, for children, hospitals, etc., and medical supplies and food. But it seems that the public has just almost handed up with military involvement, where we feel we are not
10: directly threatened. Well, we we are uh, fed up. We're war weary after a long and badly fought war. On the other hand, and this is one where I'll probably lose a lot of people because it isn't popular or political to say this uh, today. Uh, When we withdrew our troops, we made a ceasefire, a peace agreement, and it was based on uh, supporting the non-communist forces in Indochina on a basis of one-for-one replacement. Every bullet, they expended a bullet to replace it if the communists violated the ceasefire. Mm -hmm. The Communists have violated the ceasefire 72,000 times since it was instituted and we brought our men home. And I think for the United States to break its word, we're in that agreement. We pledged something. And the Congress is now saying that the United States reserves the right to just break its word and not, what are the allies ever going to trust us? And I, um, there's no question that backed by red China and the Soviet Union. The communist forces in Vietnam and Cambodia are on their way to take those over. They do, of course, Laos just automatically falls. Mm-hmm. Then they're on the edge of Indonesia, 140 million people, which comes within 14 miles at its nearest point of the Philippines. The domino theory is in Is that existence. still a viable theory, do you think? And, uh, yes, it is. And I, I could see the United States one day being very, very lonely. Now, it's a very funny thing that the same forces that want to cut Our defense spending are the same ones that want to increase all these social services and this social tinkering and experimenting that hasn't worked. And every time it doesn't work, they just impose a more expensive program on top of it. I think the American people, if they really look at all the facts, uh, yes, we want fiscal responsibility. But I think we also want a country that is strong enough at all times that we can say to any adventurous guys over there on the other side of the water, you better look twice, brother." Mm-hmm. Before you start getting rough, yeah. that we can take care of ourselves. Yeah. As, you
18: As you said, you even before you made the statement, that would probably get mixed with your uh, yeah. uh, reaction. And I can understand
10: that people are, and it's hard to understand how maybe your interest is involved ten thousand miles away. Uh, but Russia seems concerned yeah. that their interests mm-hmm. extend all the way to Cuba and to. South America, to Chile, and to other countries of that kind. and They're the ones that have said they're going to impose their way of life on the rest of the world. We haven't said we want to do it to the rest of the world, our way. Let me ask you one more question
18: before you go. Let us assume that there's a third party, that neither party seems to go. Yeah. Uh, you like this approach already, huh? <laughs> uh, and they're thrown into disarray, as they say, and a third party is formed. Do you think that will ever happen in this country, where a third party will be a a major type of uh, uh, alternate to uh, what we have?
10: Well, I'd still prefer to see uh, a revitalization of the two major parties we have uh, because the two-party system has served us very well. Third parties have a notorious way of not being successful. Now, the Republican Party, some people say, well, that was a third party 100 years ago when it started. It actually wasn't. It was a second party. The Whig Party had shrunk and shrunk, and then the remainder of the Whig Party said to two other groups that had formed parties, hey, want to get together with us? They changed their name and called themselves the other party. And so it was, in effect, the Whigs just disappeared. It was a new second party. Uh, Maybe this is time. Maybe it's time for realignment between people who might be find themselves in the wrong parties. Uh, Maybe there are some people still voting... I was a Democrat most of my life. I became a Republican only not too many years ago. And uh, I had the pleasure of telling some of those people that are saying the Republican Party ought to broaden its base. The other day that uh, when I switched parties, I didn't do it because the two parties were alike. I did it because they were different. And um, I think that the two parties ought to stand up as to what they represent, what they stand for. A third party, I—they have a way of electing the wrong people. They because they simply divide themselves from the other forces that feel the same way, and then the other fella sneaks in. And um, I—it uh, it could happen that the the neither party would would rec- represent what the people want, and right. finally the people would take some action and do something about it. But I'd I'd rather devote our effort to seeing if we can't. Find out what the present two parties stand for, and which one we want. But to you order. don't see yourself, or do you see yourself as maybe as a part of that, actively, active
18: politically again?
10: Uh, I you certainly don't give up, do I? Uh, yeah, you, you, uh, you sure, sure don't. I wish I could think of a good get off. I have Lawrence Spivak's old question yeah, yeah. Nancy, Nancy, you know, said to to say hello tonight. She thought it was great that we we're both in town at the same time. <laughs> you too. Huh? I get that.
18: Thanks for being with us tonight. Really, it's yeah, a pleasure it was to a see pleasure. you again.
2: So a lot of truth in that, right? A lot of interesting information that is so pertinent to today. And so funny how all the talk shows were asking him, hey, are you going to run? Kind of reminds me of the same way they were like, hey, are you going to run to President Trump? Hmm. But his uh, observation of the dual party system, right, is uh, so... Mm, status quo. I have to completely disagree. And in in the sense of I'm not afraid of chaos. See, people who are terrified of chaos uh don't make change. They like to toe the line. And this is why when um I was asked Um, by someone. Hey, your groups are doing a lot of good things. How can I do this? I mean, um, like, do you go in there? Do you guide them? Do you this? Do you that? I'm like, no, I do nothing of that. Well, then how are your people so effective in organizing? Because they want to organize. Well, how do you convince them? Uh, I don't have to convince them. They want change. Okay, well, we have people that want change. How come they're not doing it? because you're telling them to. See, it's one thing when you're like, yo, we could all do this. Now we should make phone calls. We all know to make phone calls. We're all going to make fucking phone calls. We're all going to send fucking emails. We're all going to send letters and we're all going to turn up. We're just coordinating our shit. And because we want to. See, out of chaos comes order. The chaos is that nobody rules you. Nobody runs you. Ah, but Tori, you have... People watching the state groups. Oh, that's for sensitive information. That has nothing to do with what you guys are doing in your states on your own. And see, what people don't understand is you don't need to control people, you need to empower them with the truth and trust that they can do their job as citizens. People aren't stupid. People seem to think the people are stupid. People seem to think that they need a leader, they need control. They need to be put in order. No, they don't. You guys organize those groups yourself. I didn't make them. I literally did not make them. You did. Did you know that about 30% of you were former Democrats, liberals? Did you know that? Yeah, it's so true. And that's what pisses them off. Most of these prying eyes that are looking. Most of these prying eyes that are looking are not looking to find out what you're doing. Yeah, some of them are like, wait a minute, what's their, what's their incognito thing? See, like one thing that I am organizing is something that's going to be kind of super cool. That's between me and another, I don't know, 60 people. But other than that, the rest of you Americans are on your own. You know what they want to see? What makes you tick? They just can't fathom that what makes you tick is that, hey, I want freedom. Hey, I'm not happy with this. Hey, fuck the two-party system. Hey, you're stealing my elections. Hey, you're brainwashing our kids. Hey, you're taxing me to death. Hey, I'm not your slave, even though I'm technically your slave, because that's what you are. Technically, you've been in these chains since birth. Technically, all the things that you are fighting are already here, but... You're still free on paper, and it's the paper that you're fighting for. So it's been here. This new world order has been here. It's just that you're being very difficult for them to actually implement it because everyone's waking up at different stages, and now it's a mass, great awakening. And even Jim Jordan said it, the great awakening. Huh? Did you not hear him say that? Yeah, you did, didn't you? When he fucked up and wanted to put the video, he said that. So the more the more people pry, the more they don't fathom it. They're like, no, no, no. There's got to be some organization. There's got to be some whiplashes on the side. There's got to be this. There's no way people are just coming up with ideas to do shit. And it's like, um, <laughs> wow, you really think people are stupid. Wow. You think people don't know how to rule themselves. Wow. Well, you're in for a big surprise, I guess. Because the people, even Jim Jordan said it have awakened. And you can't put that genie back in the bottle because now you're awakening the left, the moderate left to left, the far left. They're so far gone. Fuck. They don't even see what, they don't even know the definition of the word right, center, nothing. They're like that far left. They're gone. They're finished. It's like game over for those people. We're talking about the left. That's like kind of center left. Then you've got the, the right, right? Obviously, you've got the crazy Walt alt-right that are falling into the pockets of true conspiracies, but they're aligning with the far, far right, which is insane. And then you've got the moderate right and the right that are, everyone's coming center. It's like, fuck this shit. No, we're centrists. We want everyone to, you want to be gay? Do it. Your, your thing. Do it behind closed doors. You don't need to wear a badge. You don't need a fucking flag. I don't give a shit what you do behind closed doors. How's that? Oh, you're polka dot colored. You're yellow, brown, black, white. Yeah, I don't care. You're human. So we're done. No need to sit there and tell me how I must bow down or how I must, you know, stand my ground. It's 2021. Everyone's over that. Okay? Everyone's over it. Don't tell me I'm a Democrat or a Republican, fuck you, I'm an American. See, that's how it is. This is the revolution. And like I've said before, you are the storm. You're standing together organizing the revolutionary movement. And this is it. So as a reminder, there was something called the Reagan Revolution. It's quite similar to what's going on now, but it's not organized it's organic. Oh my God. They hate that word organic. It's supposed to mean GMO granola munching. You're doing it. No one else is doing it. You're doing it. And they can't fathom that. That's the point. They can't fathom that you are independently demanding that you be self-governed. They can't fathom it. So
8: here's that revolution. Hi, I'm John Green, this is Crash Course U.S. History, and today we're going to talk about the guy who arguably did the most to shape the world that I live in. No, Stan, not Carrot Top, no! Not Cumberbatch, although he did do the most to shape the Tumblr that I live in. I'm talking about the great communicator, Ronald Reagan. Reagan is a fascinating president because he was, in lots of ways, straightforward. Like, his presidency was called the Reagan Revolution, but it's a bit odd that he gets so much credit for changing America because he was one of the least hands-on of all presidents. And as you know, here at Crash Course, we don't really indulge in great man history. So we're gonna talk about Reagan, but we're also gonna talk about the forces that predated his presidency that led to the the so-called Reagan revolution. Mr. Green, Mr. Green, I remember some of this stuff. It's like, almost interesting. No, I'm glad to be almost interesting me from the past. Someday, maybe you'll be almost interesting. <laughs> The Reagan era began, unsurprisingly, with his election to the presidency in 1980. Now, anyone could have beaten Jimmy Carter, but Reagan succeeded largely by pulling together many strands of conservatism. Reagan emphasized his belief in states' rights, and he condemned welfare cheats, he also condemned busing and affirmative action, and he won the support of religious conservatives, including the newly formed Moral Majority, by standing for family values, even though, in fact, he was the first U.S. president to have been divorced. Also, he once acted with a monkey, and there's nothing family values about that. just informed me that Ronald Reagan did not, in fact, act with a monkey. He acted with a chimp. I apologize to all of the primate rights people out there. Good lord. Now, Reagan also appealed to the so-called white backlash, working-class white people who resented the advances that African Americans had made during the 1960s and 1970s. And economic conservatives liked his anti-union, low-taxes, free-market position and anti-government crusaders and libertarians liked his assertion that government was not the solution to problems, but was itself the problem. Then there were the Cold War hawks, who liked his militant anti-Soviet rhetoric and his desire to spend more on the military. Now that's a big coalition, but it turned out to be just barely a majority coalition. Still, Reagan won in 1980. He even carried the traditionally democratic states of Illinois and New York, proving that Jimmy Carter really was profoundly unelectable. A lot of Reagan's policy ideas weren't actually that popular at the time, but he truly was a great communicator. I mean, Reagan was a former actor and he knew how to talk to people without them feeling condescended to. His relentless optimism was a welcome contrast to Jimmy Carter being like, you should wear sweaters inside to save fuel. Sorry, Jimmy, this is America. Ronald Reagan used the word freedom more than any other president in American history, but it's interesting to think about what he meant by the word freedom. Because as we've seen in American history, freedom has meant lots of things to lots of people. Is freedom, freedom from government tyranny? Or is freedom government protection from hunger and homelessness and military attacks? Do governments ultimately restrict freedom or provide it? Now, there's no question that the federal government that Ronald Reagan inherited would have been absolutely foreign to the people who founded this country. I mean, Social Security, federal income taxes, the National Endowment for the Arts. But some people would argue that the America of 1980 was much more free for more Americans than say the America of 1790 when after all slavery was legal. And in fact in the early 19th century many slave owners said that the government was taking away their freedom to own slaves. Ultimately the question of how we should imagine freedom and how we should allow for it is at the center of American history. And a big part of Ronald Reagan's vision of freedom was economic freedom which he laid out in his economic bill of rights. would curtail union power, reduce federal regulation of industry and the environment, and most of all, lower taxes. All these ideas were a big part of the Reagan revolution, but as we know, much of what he proposed had been brewing for years during the rise of conservatism. So what aspects of this economic Bill of Rights actually ended up happening? Well, his main accomplishment was lowering taxes. In 1981, Reagan persuaded Congress to lower the top tax rate from 70 percent to 50%. In 1986, Congress went much further with the Tax Reform Act that lowered the top income tax rate to 28%. Oh, time for the mystery document. The rules here are simple I read the mystery document, I either get the author of it correct or I get shocked. All right, here we go. Can I just take a preliminary guess that it's going to be Reagan? I will not accept the excuse that the federal government has grown so big and powerful that it is beyond the control of any president, any administration, or Congress. We are going to put an end to the notion that the American taxpayer exists to fund the federal government. The federal government exists to serve the American people and to be accountable to the American people. On January 20th, we are going to reestablish that truth. Also, on that date, we are going to initiate action to get substantial relief for our tax-paying citizens and to put people back to work. We will simply apply to our government the common sense that we use in our daily lives. It is Reagan! Stan is telling me that I'm not going to get the check mark unless I guess the correct speech. Well, he we talked about January 20th, so obviously it's not his inaugural address. It's either the acceptance speech he gave at the convention or, like, the speech that he gave after he was elected. But I don't think... Convention? <laughs> so the idea that lower taxes is the best way to spur economic growth is called supply-side economics, or trickle-down economics. Or if you're George H.W. Bush running against Ronald Reagan in the 1980 primaries, voodoo economics. Sadly, this does not involve zombies or putting pins in dolls. Instead, it's about high interest rates to combat inflation, coupled with cutting taxes, especially for wealthy Americans. Those rich people then spend more and invest more in private enterprise, which creates new jobs. Also, the thinking goes that lower taxes will encourage people to work harder since they'll be able to keep more of their money. Did this work? Yeah, now we're getting into the part of history where it depends on your political perspective. Initially, the high interest rates definitely provoked a recession in 1981 and 1982, which was not ideal. But inflation did drop from 13.5% in 1981 to 3.5% in 1988, and after 1982, the economy began expanding, and the rest of the Reagan era saw consistent increases in gross domestic product. However, not everyone benefited from that expansion. While the stock market boomed, wages didn't rise very much, and in fact, haven't risen since. Now, one of the central ideas of subrates, and you also cut government spending, because, you know, the government has ...less money, which, yeah, did not happen. The government is always good at cutting taxes, but it is never good at cutting spending. The Reagan era did see cuts to some programs, Medicare, Medicaid, they remained largely intact. And instead of cutting the overall amount of spending, it actually went up considerably because of a defense spending binge that saw the national debt balloon to $2.7 trillion. But Reagan totally did deliver on his anti-union rhetoric. In August 1981, when the unionized air traffic controllers went out on strike, violating federal law in the process, Reagan fired more than 11,000 controllers who refused to return to work. So as I mentioned before, the 80s were a pretty great decade for Wall Street generally, which is why Oliver Stone made a movie about it that immortalized the line greed is good. In the 1980s, it became easier to make money buying and merging companies than actually, like, running them profitably. But fortunately, we later dealt with that problem. We never fix the problems, we only fix the things that are fine. Oh, one of the reasons American history is so important to me is I want us as a country to like summon the courage to deal seriously with our problems. Sometimes I think that we're just so cowardly, like we're the cowardliest country on earth. Oh, what about phrase? All right, the French. Right, but like the merger of R.J. Reynolds Tobacco, maker of Winston Cigarettes, and Nabisco, which gave us Oreos, not only created a cancer and heart disease dream team, it also generated nearly $1 billion for the lawyers and bankers who put the deal together. But if you were like most of us in the 80s, watching Dallas and Dynasty, working at your regular job, inexplicably having a carpeted bathroom, then you probably didn't share in that abundance. The 80s saw rising economic inequality, although not nearly as dramatic as we see today. By the mid 1990s, the richest 1% controlled 40% of the nation's wealth, doubled the share from 20 years before. Meanwhile, the income of middle class families stagnated, and that of the poorest 20% began to decline. And one often overlooked aspect of deregulation was the closing of hospitals for the mentally ill. Now, some of these institutions were hellish, but rapid closure of all of these facilities without replacement services meant that many patients were left to live on the street. Homelessness increased dramatically. Now, of course, Reagan is considered the darling of conservatives today, but by current standards, he was something of a moderate. I mean, yes, he cut taxes and he cut funding for programs that help the poor, like food stamps and school lunches. But during his second term, he worked effectively with the Democratic Congress. There's no bipartisanship today. Also, he left the big New Deal and Great Society programs largely intact. I mean, he was too old to believe in cutting Medicare. He was like, all of my friends are on this. And the 80s also didn't see the fulfillment of the desires of the Christian right. I mean, divorce rates, went up, abortion continued to be legal, women didn't leave the workforce. In fact, Reagan appointed the first woman to the Supreme Court. Are you kidding? We didn't have a woman in the Supreme Court until the 1980s? What co- this is the craziest country ever! Even affirmative action persisted, and Nancy Reagan's urging of Americans to just say no to drugs didn't convince anybody. And then we have Ronald Reagan's reputation as the man who ended the Cold War. The thinking here goes that Reagan spent so much money on defense that the Soviets bankrupted themselves trying to compete. And there may be a case to be made there, but we don't want to remove agency from the people who protested the oppression of life behind the Iron Curtain. So while you can argue that the Reagan administration helped create good conditions for the change that happened, the people who made the change made it. Alright, let's go to the Thought Bubble. In his first term, Ronald Reagan took a really hard line against the Soviet Union. He called it an evil empire, and even once joked that the US would begin bombing in five minutes. That was ill-advised. Reagan also sponsored the largest military buildup in US history, including the MX missile. The highlight was his proposed strategic defense initiative aka Star Wars, space-based missiles and lasers for shooting Soviet missiles out of the sky. This was a fantastic idea, although it would have violated the 1972 Anti-Ballistic Missile Treaty, but anyway, it was technologically impossible to build. The force was not strong with this idea. Reagan also pressured NATO to put missiles in Western Europe, and the war games that NATO staged in 1983 were so realistic that the Soviets almost scrambled their planes and launched ICBMs. Now, if that had resulted in a nuclear war, we'd have a very different story on our hands. But it didn't. And Reagan's aggressive nuclear posturing had a couple of positive results. First, it boosted the worldwide anti-nuclear weapons movement, called the Freeze Movement. And second, it turned Reagan into the most successful nuclear abolitionist in the atomic age. There's nothing like a reasonably close brush with nuclear apocalypse to tone down your rhetoric a little. And in his second term, Reagan was much more conciliatory toward the Soviets and worked to reduce the number of warheads. In his first term, according to the historian Victor Sebastian, Reagan spent nearly as much on defense as presidents Nixon, Ford, and Carter combined, and much more than both the cost of the Korean and Vietnam wars. But in his second term, Reagan toned down both the spending and his rhetoric, declaring our constant and urgent purpose must be a lasting reduction of tensions between us. Thanks, Thought Bubble. So Reagan was able to negotiate the first reduction in nuclear weapons with the new Soviet premier, Mikhail Gorbachev, in 1986. In fact, the two leaders might have tried to get rid of nuclear weapons altogether, but Reagan's unwillingness to give up his Star Wars initiative made that impossible. That was a big deal, but the rest of Reagan's foreign policy was somewhat less triumphant. For instance, he sent Marines to Lebanon as part of a peacekeeping mission, but then withdrew forces after 241 of them were killed by a car bomb. And Middle Eastern policy played a key role in the biggest controversy of Reagan's presidency, the Iran-Contra scandal. This was truly one of the craziest schemes ever hatched up by an American presidential administration, which is really saying something. The Contras were rebels seeking to overthrow the socialist Sandinista government government of Nicaragua. Because they were anti-communist and the Cold War was in full swing, the Reagan administration wanted to support them, but Congress passed a law saying that they couldn't. So two administration officials, John Poindexter and Oliver North, got creative. They hatched a plan to sell arms to the Iranian government, still technically our enemies, and then funnel some of the profits from those illegal arms sales to the Congress. And Congress would never have to know about it, except that they found out. Congressional hearings followed, and we learned a lot about Ronald Reagan's penchant for delegating the details of his policy to underwings. In this case, that served him well, as he could plausibly claim that he knew nothing about the clandestine activities of these two rogue employees. And this gets to the big point of the Reagan era. I'm not sure that it was really about Reagan. In fact, I'm not sure that any great man history is really about the great men who supposedly spearheaded it. Whether or not you think America is better off from the rise of conservatism we've seen since LBJ's Great Society, it wasn't really, and it still really isn't, about individuals. It's about us Collectively deciding what we mean when we talk about freedom and equality. Thanks for watching. I'll see you next week. Crash course is made with the help What does it mean to
2: be free? What does it mean to have equality? What a weird question? It's not even freaking hard How the hell are you the underdog today? How are you not being represented in government? How are you? Just being singled out and not listened to you. How are you losing everything? How are you being silenced? I'm sorry. Look at that sea of people. How are you the underdog? I'm not understanding how you are the underdog. You you know, a lot of conservatives are like, oh my gosh, the left. They're always victims. It's, what are the lyrics at Tom McDonald's? It's my weight. It's my... Um, faith, it's because I'm a Christian. I hate the internet and anyone that has an opinion, right? Okay. We're we're saying that they play victim all the time. Yet, for some reason, it's the right that plays victim. It's been playing victim. Oh, we're never going to win. These people are such cheaters. You know, it's a rigged system. All of you say it. What the fuck have you done to fix it? This is what you need to ask every other person out there. What have you done to fix it? We don't need a two-party system. We don't need an MLM scam of, you know, organized party organizations that have foundations for profit, nonprofit that take our money and then they pick whoever the fuck they want to run. Oh, so-and-so endorsed them. I don't give a shit who endorsed them. If they're not working for me, if I find something on them that tells me that they're on the take, they're not getting my vote. That's the way it should be. But then, well, how are we going to find out? That's it. You organize together. Do you know how much every single one of these groups on Telegram has dug up on just their local officials? It's insane. What? You know... This is an idea, just floating it around. I mean, we're tens of thousands strong actively online. I mean, we can all have our own fucking think tank. Uh, We can all have representative states that report on all their candidates and they have all their trash, all their good in reports. And then we, we put it out. I think we should be doing that. I think that's a genius idea. We need to do that. We should be, <laughs> maybe we can get all of America to join in that conversation. Every single state needs to join in and say, hey, I'm from, I'm from Indiana. These are all the people running for Senate, federal. These are all the people running for House, federal. These are all the local legislators running. Here are all the mayors. Here are all the city council members. Here are all the county members. Let's see. And we make their own NASCAR suits. And we put them together and we organize. I think we are the news is going to be doing something like that. I think for 2022, we're about to tip this shit on its head. There may be a really good Democrat that's just put up there to pretend to run against a Republican because they want that Republican to win. Right? We need our own thing. We don't need to rely on anyone. I mean... We're doing quite a stellar job on Telegram weeding that chaff, right? We're separating the wheat from the chaff. Uh see, this whole year in those state groups, you've been organizing, you've been having discussions, each and every one of us. And, you know, if someone would say, Well, what are you? Are you Republican, or you Democrat? No. We're the organization regarding everything. We organize about everything. We discuss everything from school to taxes to candidates to everything. That's exactly what you guys are doing. That's all. They lose. I'm just saying we each have voices. Our groups are solid. I think we need to start, you know, last year, uh, you know, In November, your state groups were created and your country groups were created. And then you guys started organizing, having discussions about your local level, my county, this, that, this, that, not Facebook Karen shit, where the popular chick or the one that has all the money or her husband and runs this shit and that shit is more important than what you have to say, you know, where they shut you up and you're like, shut up, dude. You don't do anything but, you know, comb your hair and wear expensive things. Please fuck off kindly. This is where we get down and dirty. We've got skills like nobody other. In every state, you have printers, graphic designers, social media stars—you know that know how to do social media. Like, uh, dig. We've got coders. We've got programmers. We've got engineers. We've got bakers. We've got small businesses. In every fucking state, you guys can just create your thing where you have your own campaign events. And it's like, yo, Joe, you've got your food truck, right? Hey, can you cater from your restaurant to this one? All right. We're going to interview these people that are running and we're going to take notes and we're all going to disseminate that shit amongst ourselves. Let's sit down and do it. This is why it's important to break bread, because the next step of this to take your nation first, it was writing letters and learning how to use stamps again. We forgot how to do that. We got so lazy. We're just like, yeah, we're just going to call an email. Yeah. Ever heard of a spam folder? So there's that. Next, what did you do? Oh, let's get together and get this done. Let's do some research. Let's look at this. Boom. Then, hey, let's 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 test this quo warranto thing. You tested it. Thank you. Everybody tested it. I did. Mine's still in the testing phase. I can't speak to it yet. So all of that is happening. Then you move on to the next step, where it's like, all right, we're digging, we're digging, we're organizing, we're talking. Then you go on to the next one. Why don't we sue the fuck out of everyone? Why don't we sue the fuck out of everyone? Let's do it. Let's do it. Here's how we're going to do it. Here's how we're going to organize it. Here's how we're going to do it. Then we wrote letters. We filed lawsuits, federal, Supreme Court. Uh Uh-oh. Next one's going to be big. And here you are going slowly, slowly learning the rope, seeing the infiltration. Cause you saw that too, right? And I'll, and I'll have you, and I'll have you know anyone telling you that the ninth and tenth amendment is the wrong way to go. I have sat down with the biggest legal minds. Some you know, some you don't, some the whole world knows, some they don't. Genius. So this is how we move it along. You guys have made your own schools. Your 1776 schools where teachers that were like, fuck this shit, decided, hey, I'm in a community with enough patriots. We'll be teachers. And you guys all pay together salary and we'll school them together. Badass. You got that done. Look at what you've been doing. How are you the underdog? How are you asking him to do things? To me? Oh, hi, Mr. So-and-so, would you kindly fuck you? Hey, I'm giving you a directive. Because I'm your constituent and you serve me as we do this. So that's that. Now, a little bit of housekeeping. Documentary is almost finished. There's just so much crap to put in there. So much. And it's like, every single time I'm like, oh, we could leave this out. Then it's like, hey, let's put this in to tie it all together. It's coming along. But keep in mind, while we're editing that, we're working on a million other things at the same time. Things you know about, things you don't know about. And a lot of fires that I'm putting out (laughs) on my personal side. So anyway, um, on that note, I want to wish you guys a fantastic evening and weekend. I will be not having a show tomorrow. It is my daughter's sweet 16. I will be spending the whole day just for her. So um I will not. I will be scarcely on social media unless you need to get. You know, I'm I'm in my car and it's driving for me, and I'm getting somewhere. Other than that, it's um, I'm it's almost like a forced day off, which is kind of nice. I will see you on Sunday for movie night. Hopefully, that'll be a lot of fun. God bless everyone. Uh...
1: desire Strange what desire will make foolish people do i never dream that I'll love somebody like you I'll never dream